for trainers, collectives, and individuals that were looking for a program to follow that was chud-free or perhaps one that came directly from us, there is Liberation Martial Arts Online. Thanks to Nell, Matt D, and Broken Mirror Alice for signing up. If you want to sign up for Liberation Martial Arts Online or want to increase your financial support for the Southpaw Project, you can find special tiers on our Patreon. If you'd like to listen to all of our shows without any breaks or interruptions, you can also find uncut versions of our shows, along with Fighters Brew and SDS9 on Patreon. This is Sam. This is Jason. And this is Fight Study. This episode was sponsored by Chad Loader, SH, M. Shelton, Berkshire People's Gym, and New Guy. Jason and I are back to talk about UFC 284. We had the main event between lightweight champion Islam Mahachev versus featherweight champion and pound-for-pound king Alexander Volkanovsky. It ended up being one of the most technical fights in UFC history, but it'll probably never get nominated for fight of the year because it wasn't a bloody mess. We also had the interim featherweight title fight between Yair Rodriguez and Josh Emmett, which wasn't as technical, but impressive nonetheless in a different way. So this time around, let's reverse the order and go chronological. Let's first talk about Rodriguez versus Emmett and then spend the rest of the episode on the main event. Now, when this fight was announced, I said it was going to be a spam fest, kicks versus right hands. And that's actually how it turned out. But it was also more than that. Jason, talk to us about this fight. Well, first, let me say thank you to Dominic Cruz for actually paying attention to the fucking fight in the first place. Instead, of, <laughs> uh, like he, He's actually commentating on the front kick of Yair to, to start the fight while fucking UFC shamelessly plugged the cocaine bear for the 20th time that fucking night. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like the power slap of movies. I didn't. Even, I couldn't even understand <laughs> That's what, the what I was going to say. I was going to say that. <laughs> I I wrote that it was a, a the cinematic version of uh, slap fight. <laughs> the <Dana> white <laughs> slap fight, <laughs> and you stole you stole my shtick, man. <laughs> Parallel thinking, right? Oh, I bet a lot of people were thinking the same shit. What is this shit? That's to normalize slap. That's all it's meant to do. Because it can't be any any worse than Cocaine Bear. It can't, can't be more of a shit show than that, can it? Yeah. I can't even describe the trailer they showed us. I don't even know what the hell I just watched. Right? Like, oh, but Condom Depot wasn't, wasn't <laughs> professional enough. <laughs> it makes me long for the days of Condom Depot guy versus Beef Jerky guy. It was better back then. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> I was like, how far we've come to come nowhere at all. <laughs> all right. Hit us with the fights. All right. So I got to give it some, a little more credit than just the old swang and bang. You know, maybe it's a, uh, maybe it's a little spam and wham, or maybe some, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe some kicking and some sticking, if you will. I don't know. <laughs> like, but it was a little, it was a little more than that. So like to Yair's credit, um, he was able to use those kicks to set up his kicks. It was pretty cool. Um, and you talk about someone stealing someone else's notes in their thunder. That was Dominic Cruz calling what pretty much calling what Yair Rodriguez 
what his game plan was and how he was able to dictate so much of that first round with whether it was a, a kick up the middle with a kick to a calf and you would call it a uh, snap kick, deep kick, uh, front kick, whatever. Um, he was mixing it in nicely. And when you know that in order for, for Emmett to get off some of his big shots that he's hittable, um, you know, it's, uh, it was, the story is the smoothness and creativity of Yair. While he also showed some really, really good timing and excellent reactions and, Honestly, one hell of a chin because he did get touched a couple of times by Emmett. Rodriguez will get hit a lot, but he will also hit you a lot, which makes him very dangerous. But the thing that makes him so good is something every fighter should be doing, which is not giving your opponent a turn. Rodriguez doesn't go, wait for you to go, then goes again. He goes, then he goes, then he goes, which threw Emmett off because Emmett is an opportunist with his right hand, and Rodriguez wasn't giving him a turn to unload with the punch. Emmett just ended up having to throw his right simultaneously as he was eating kicks. But overall, it didn't turn out too well for him. Rodriguez does a lot of fancy stuff, but at its core, that's what it is. He won't play that game that you always criticize fighters of playing. You go, I go, you go, I go. Rodriguez will go, then go, then go then go. So it only looks unorthodox or unusual because normally other fighters stop after kick, whereas he keeps attacking. That makes him a handful for anyone. I think even Michael Bisping at one point was like, that's unusual. He kicked and then he kept attacking. Normally guys don't do that, right? Which speaks to what's normal in MMA UFC fighting and even what was normal for Bisping when he was out there, that rhythm, right? On top of that, to your point, he has a really good chin. He has length. He has a lot of other physical attributes and just to keep attacking and keep going for volume and basically disrespecting your turn. That's exactly what he does. And he does that coupled with like dexterity, coordination, um, and some reflexes and some timing and a little bit of fuck you too, you know? So he'll hit you in the head with a kick. And as his foot, as his foot is returning from your face to the ground, he punches you before his foot even returns to the mat. And he'll do that, and then he'll come back with a, 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 another kick from the opposite side if his foot, if his power foot lands close to you. And he's just punched you, kicked you, then punched you into kick range to the opposite side. And you think you're going to his weak side, and then it would be smothered, but not the way he lands, and he throws another kick off of it. And it's, it's sort of pretty in the way that he's able to continue to put a beating on you when most of the, the things he throws would leave a lesser athlete and a lesser fighter out of position, right? He's able to have a, what I always call a continuation of offense. And the, the beauty of it is it's difficult to pull off when you're a heavy kicker like that. And he does it with some, some basic stuff and he'll also do it with some spin shit too, which is always fun. <laughs> I think it's because he doesn't have that habit that a lot of kickers have or a lot of people develop from kicking, which is you kick and then as soon as that kicking leg touches the ground, you shuffle back and reset your feet. And the thing is, you don't have to. You can just place your foot down where it is and just keep going. But I don't know. That's just become a convention. And then think about that. If you're training for decades, then you've just repped that reset after every kick like a million times. So then at that point, it's so habituated, you don't even know why you're doing that. And you don't even know that there was an opportunity to just continue your offense off of that kick. 
Whereas for whatever reason, Yair Rodriguez doesn't have that habit of resetting after every kick. Maybe it's because he came up during Taekwondo or I don't know, it's something his coaches have worked on. But I think that strategic difference is paying huge dividends for him. Well, I mean, he, he has the athleticism and dexterity to fight that way. And not everyone does. Right. And so but he's he's when I say fighters need to fight to their strengths, he he does so in a way that most people don't. And we don't always get I mean, when you get the easiest way to get recognition in the UFC is ultra aggressive, reckless fighting styles. Right. Even the great fighters in the UFC, don't, it's not the deepest talent pool. It just isn't like they don't pay, they don't pay that well. And it's a very difficult sport and it sucks to get beat up. It just does. So you're not getting the creme de la creme of blue chip talent all the time. So guys who have certain intangibles like like power or a chin, they'll fight reckless, they'll fight wild, they'll fight uh, in, in a way that is entertaining. But like I said before, easily um, replicated. And let's be honest, Yair Rodriguez's style is not easily replicated. It almost looks like kick versions of chain wrestling, right? When you chain wrestle, you may be going for a single to a double, back to a single, or you just keep continuing that offense. Whereas striking, right? In MMA, often it's not like chain wrestling. It's what you always talk about. You go, I go. But he just chains the stuff together off of his kicks. He doesn't stop. He just keeps attacking. I mean, even Anthony Pettis, who also came up doing Taekwondo, couldn't do that. But I think part of that is because his coach tried to change his style altogether versus Yair Rodriguez's coaches were like, oh, you're obviously good at this. Let's just enhance this. Right. And that's to what, we, what you and I spoke to last episode. How can you work to the strengths of a fighter and not, not try to iron out every wrinkle and make them so smooth that everything fucking slides off them? Nothing sticks anymore. Right. So uh, you want to keep them a little tacky, I guess, at times. So some things stick intellectually and physically. So I think what you have with Yair Rodriguez is, is someone who has the physical ability to be creative and the want to be creative, right? He was showing, I don't want to say I call it like great fight IQ, but I, I think he understood that up the middle stuff would be there. And when he could land it and keep, keep Emmett a little bit concerned of it, well, anytime Emmett would shift to the left or to, to Yair's left, bang, that big left kick to the body was fucking waiting for him, wasn't it? Right? If you wanted to shift to the right and go heavy overhand right, even kick you in the calf, kick you in the head, it didn't matter whether it was from the side coming up and around, question mark, kick. It really didn't matter. He was putting feet on you, whatever he wanted to. And then as his foot was returned to the mat, he touched you with the right hand. And it was, it was pretty fun to see. And what made, it, what made it a good fight to watch was that there was always that danger from Emmett. His power is pretty scary. I mean, like, Emmett's power is really scary. And he's got a hell of a chin, too. And obviously, his liver can take a fucking beating because <laughs> how many times did he get hit with that shit from, uh, from out here? And I think also he couldn't see the kicks. The way he throws it, I'm sure nobody in his gym was replicating that. That's, that's an excellent point. It's a very difficult style to replicate. What are you going to bring in the style bender to give him a look? <laughs> and I mean, right? What are you going to do? So, yeah, that's an excellent point. I mean, who did he have trying to work that style? Because the way Yair throws his kicks, he throws his front kicks and his roundhouse kicks almost the same. And also, because he doesn't wind up, that transitional move where you're like, oh, his torso's moving, 
something's coming. He doesn't do that. And I think it's because he throws it more like Taekwondo style or karate style, where he's more isolating his leg and his leg is just kicking and the power just comes from the speed. So you lose a little bit of power, but what he gets in return is hitting an opponent when they're not ready. So this is a question a lot of people who train have to think about then. When you're thinking about your technique and what your default technique is when you're throwing a punch or a kick is, should you go for power that's easier to see? Or is it better to hit your opponent when they don't know is coming? It's the strikes that you don't see coming. That's it. I think at the beginning, right, you always think maximal power. And then as you get more experienced, you realize, no, if they don't see it coming, you don't even need to hit them that hard. Yeah. The brain isn't prepared for it right? The brain is taking another visual stimuli. Yeah, it's still engaged in its fight brain, but there's one, there's the brain that's ready to be punched or kicked right in the face and is, is flexing those traps so that the head, that the, the brain just doesn't bounce around in your skull and, and you start to shift and rotate even, albeit ever so slightly, or you clinch down on your mouthpiece, you clinch your jaw, or whenever you punch and you think you're going to land in your mouth, your jaw unclenches a bit and you reach and you lean and then next thing you know you get crushed with a counter shot that spins your head around like the fucking exorcist and next thing you know you're waking up when you rest and you're wrestling the ref right so it's the punches you don't see coming yeah other guys have like really really good power but i mean if we're going to talk about power we're talking about the punches that that are overly telegraphed and you have fighters who understand what do I say? Pocket presence, right? The ability to roll just a little bit, the ability to just sort of shift with a punch rather than, you know, taking it head on, head on. One of the, the fighters with the best chin I've ever worked with is Matt Frivola. But at the same time, he swings so wildly at times that he doesn't see some punches coming and those will sit him down every once in a while. He's the toughest fucking human being I've ever seen and he'll snap right back to his feet walk right through it the next time. But the ones that do set him down and put him on his ass aren't the ones that hit him the hardest, I don't believe. They're the ones he doesn't see coming. So he's just one example, but that's that's one I think I, I can speak to having been in his corner multiple times. And something I want listeners to pay attention to is look at the way Yair Rodriguez kicks and also look at the way Alexander Volkanovsky kicks. And what you'll notice is they never do switch kicks. And the reason why is because even that transition of switching is a tell. So what does Volkanovsky and Yair Rodriguez do? They just switch stances first. They fight in that stance until they're ready to kick, and then they just throw that kick. And I think that is a tactic a lot of the best fighters are doing. Yeah, the only, the only fighter I know in the UFC that didn't need to that threw a switch kick just as fast as someone who did was yeah, uh, uh, Marais, right? Marlon Marais. But then those fighters with that kind of speed are few and far between. Edson Barbosa too. Barbosa, you're right. And they both came up under the same Muay Thai coach. Oh, absolutely. And they are excellent fast twitch types, right? You can put me on a, a, a heavy bag with the best Muay Thai coach in the world. And my footwork will get a little faster, but I'm more of a plotter and a, and a banger than I will ever be Mr. Swifty with the feet. It's just not happening. Um, so they, they have some physical tools that allow them to work that way. 
But at the same time, like imagine them with a nice shift game. Because shifting isn't that difficult. You just have to get a feel for it and you have to spar it and then own it and own it under duress. But we walk, we're bipeds, right? With counter motion of when we swing our arms. So we take our feet alternate front foot forward to the other opposite foot front forward one after another. So we do that. And so you can walk it and shift it. What you do see is you see the, the necessity for greater mobility and balance which will necessitate the hands dropping a little bit because it's hard sprinting or, or moving athletically with both of your hands not serving as counterbalance and hands at your face the entire time. So you'll see it's risk versus reward, right? Your hands will be a little bit lower so that you can, you can shift off and you have greater mobility and balance. Also greater explosiveness too because you have a little bit of a swing and torque and torsion from the hips because of the counterbalance of your arms. And the thing about it is, is I think guys like Marias and Edson Barbosa, if they did more of a shift game or even just a marching, walking switch game, kind of like Rodriguez does or Israel Adesanya does, I think it'll also save them a lot of energy, right? Because they're not always exploding into that kick. Oh, ag- agreed. Just do a real casual and then just wait for that opportunity and then just throw it. Right. And that, that's the thing is that their style, and I know this is tangential to, to Yair and Emmett, but when we talk about styles of fighters who have that much fast twitch ability, it, it requires more oxygen. And you're not as fast as you are. Like you, you don't maintain speed later in your career. And so those th- same things that you do that are knocking people out, people are reading a little bit better. As you get some a little worse for the wear after you've got more miles on you, you start to see the, I guess, the degradation of the chin and the elapse in speed and time. Jason, something we've talked a lot about is defensive responsibility. And part of that is attacking to keep your opponent off of you. What was happening with Emmett? Because he wasn't being defensively responsible. Well, we saw Yair stringing, stringing techniques together. Well, Emmett was doing what he always does. He was hunting for that big shot. And though I tend to ridicule that kind of approach, that was most likely, and let's be honest, that was most likely his only path to victory. So I, I didn't mind it because there, there were times where <laughs> he, he came pretty close. And Yair did a great job of touching the body consistently with kicks. Uh, and let's be honest with this, a polished, a really polished striking competition at any sort of distance was not going to bode well for Emmett. You know, so I think I think we saw I think we saw that Emmett is a great puncher, but Yair is, is a great fighter and a better fighter. A note to our listeners. If you love the Southpaw Project, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on Patreon. This will give you access to exclusive bonus content, like early releases of Southpaw Deep Space Nine, our fictional narrative podcast, Fighters Brew break free versions of our shows without interruptions like you're hearing now bonus articles fighters brew transcripts with extra content liberation martial arts online as well as our private chat group on discord you can also make one-time donations at ko-fi or show your solidarity by wearing our swag you can find all pertinent links at southpawpod.com now let's talk about the main event between Mahachev versus Volkanovsky. 
this fight was interesting because there was no Habib Nurmagomedov in his corner, which I think did make a difference. Also, Mahachev is huge, and the weigh-ins were later than usual, so he had less time to recover after, which I think also affected him. But it's also a fight where the loser came out cementing his spot for pound for pound. And that's unusual, but that speaks to how good this fight was. Jason, talk to us about this fight. All right. Well, I got to steal one of your lines because I don't know if you've been reading through my shit or what, but <laughs> we're thinking I like this time. But and it, most people are probably going to disagree with me. Uh, but for the first time I watched the fight, I scored it 3-2 for Islam. And then when I heard, when I heard one of the judges score it 4-1 for Islam, I wasn't upset. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying that, and I mean this, well, well, I want to clearly state that Alexander Volkanovsky is one of my favorite fighters. No, he is my favorite fighter by far. Um, and I was pulling for him the entire time. But what else was going on, right? Um, and this is going to sound incredibly counterintuitive, is the fact that every round I felt about, even though the ones that I felt he lost for sure, I felt Alexander Volkanovsky solidified himself as the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. No matter, he, he was fighting so, so very well. And he was, he was good at the things we thought he didn't stand a chance at, right? It was such an intellectual tension of opposites in my fucking middle-aged fight brain that I actually watched the fight a third time. And that, that time, nothing registered because it was just sort of hypnotic to see that level of skill and fight IQ on display. So nothing really registered. So uh, watching the third time didn't do anything more for me except appreciate what I saw. And, and to, like, to the credit of both you and I, when we spoke about Islam, we spoke about how like, I talked about his right hook and his, his, his defensive striking he, or his defensive um, awareness and ability to counter strike. And he's improved in that regard very much so, so much that it is not a deficit. He is one of the better strikers in the 155-pound division. I mean, I'll debate that with anybody. You can hate him because he's a boring wrestler, but I mean, I guess that wrestling has everyone so freaked out that he's able to touch the best fighter in the world pound for pound with a fucking educated jab when he wanted to. I mean, how many times did Volkanovsky have to nod to him to give him props? At one point, you were like, oh, I could just count how many good shots landed just by looking at Volkanovsky nodding at him. And like throughout a lot of the fight, he kept nodding at him. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And maybe you want to try to game face that a little more, but I don't think it's an, in Volkanovsky. I think he's too good of a person not to give someone credit for doing something <laughs> well. right? And he loves competition. He loves competition, which when he got touched, he tried to touch back big and he did. But he was punching uphill. He was punching a taller fighter, a fighter who had great wrestling and had the ability to to give ground. So when you're punching uphill and you're fighting someone who can fight off that back foot and give a little bit of, bit of ground, who has the wrestling chops that Islam has, um, I mean, the fact that the fight was that close and both fighters fought so well only happened because Alexander Volkanovsky is the best fighter in the fucking world. If not, he'd have been in a body triangle for all five rounds. And anyone else probably would have been had it gone on that long because Islam Makhachev is that good. So what we saw was just an outstanding performance by, by Volkanovski and right, uh, a great smaller fighter, maybe giving up just a little bit too much size against a great bigger fighter. And a bigger fighter who's a southpaw, which definitely seemed like a style that Volkanovski has a harder time against. 
And even still, he came really close. Right. And so people, I, I saw a lot of people on Twitter. I was trying not to pay much attention to it. I was just trying to like, get my angry politics out of my system. But I was on Twitter and I saw people talking about, you know, why didn't, uh, why didn't Volk jab more? Well, I mean, when you're in an orthodox stance, throwing out your jab, there's the counter right hook from the southpaw fighter when you're in the orthodox stance and your lead legs are aligned, right? It's lead leg for lead leg. So there's two things you have to account for. And that lead right hook from, from, uh, from the southpaw is problematic if you're always bringing your, your jab hand back a little bit low in consideration of the wrestling attacks. And because that's sort of how uh, Volkanovski fights. So I think if he would have continued to just sort of be educated with his jab, he probably would have got touched with the left hook a little more. Maybe he should have been a little more in and out. Maybe he got caught up in the moment, the intensity of the crowd. But I think some of the things he did because of the intensity of the crowd earned uh, Islam's respect early. So, you know, I mean, who really knows how it would have played out? But I, I thought Volkanovski proved to the world that he was the pound for pound best fighter in the world, even in defeat, even in the, the rounds he lost. I thought it was it was pretty glaring that he was the best fighter in the world. Now, what surprised me was that strength didn't play as much of a factor as I thought. This then made me think, how strong is Volkanovski at featherweight? Oh, it's amazing because Islam ragdolls even the strongest of fighters. He's that, he just, he manhandled, he, he absolutely threw around Dan Hooker, right? Who, who looked physically at almost as strong as Felder. And Felder's super strong. And Oliveira, I used to talk about how strong he was for, for like a, a slender guy with a skinnier body type. These guys are physically, physically very strong individuals. And I mean, how strong are Alexander Volkanovsky's hips to where, <laughs> right? To where Islam would take him down and then almost get reversed just from a basic hip heist, which wasn't even, sometimes it was like a little bit incorrect. It almost looked like a sucker roll that you learn in peewee wrestling, but his hips were so strong that Islam was just sort of like getting bumped off of him, and but just had the, the wrestling chops and the physical strength to keep, you know, to keep improving position and not give up a reversal. It was fun to watch because it made me nervous because Volkanovski almost got it each time. So like when you when I watched it as as a former wrestling coach, former wrestler, I was moving my shoulders and my hips. Like I, <laughs> I could feel my heart beating real fast. Like I was coaching, like I was in the corner sitting on those shitty chairs, just like waiting for my guy to get one and separate and go again. That kind of thing. And from a from a coaching perspective, it was the best fight I've ever watched because of the moment. You were fighting for pound for pound, and every every round, except for the one body triangle, was exciting and very very close. And the things that we didn't expect from from Islam, he showed improvements. He showed that he could really really strike incredibly well. And I'll debate that with anybody. And Volkanovski showed that he can wrestle with anybody. He really can. If Islam is this physical outlier at 155. Well, Volkanovski is a bigger physical outlier at featherweight, and that's a fact. Yeah, I think something Coach Zach talked to me about when he watched this fight, and he said he watched it three times too. He was like, he had nothing to say about the wrestling. He said both of their wrestling was perfect. It's nothing that Islam should have done. It's just that Volkanovski also did really, really well. Yeah, you can do. You can throw a perfect pitch 
that someone can still knock out the fucking park, right? <laughs> yeah. You really can. And and sometimes that just happens. A good wrestling, good counter wrestling, the ability to generate momentum from the cage just by bumping your hips off a little bit, to bump forward and turn position. What really impressed me was some of the some of the, the single legs and the body lock reversals. As good of a wrestler as Islam is, he's also very strong. If if you if you lack in any one of those things against him, you're probably not getting that reversal. So it, it's a testament to the improvement, and or maybe not even improvement. I mean, it's how good uh, Volkanovski's wrestling all always was, and we didn't we just didn't realize because he's improved since since he's competed against. Uh, the likes of Chad Mendes, who is just notoriously underrated. He was fantastic. He was a national champion wrestler. He's an absolute stud. He almost beat um, a prime Jose Aldo. He's just fantastic. I don't think he gets, gets the credit he deserves. And how many times in the last two or three years have we discussed the, the ridiculous improvement of an already exceptionally skilled Alexander Volkanovsky? Every time we talk about him, he, we mentioned his improvement from his hand speed to his explosiveness now to his strength in his wrestling. I should also mention Volkanovsky has wrestled his whole life. No, absolutely. And, and what is he, 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, and he can fight bigger, taller guys and beat them with a jab and an inside cut kick and then just a little stance shift and then put whatever, whatever final touch on whatever combination he wants to throw. And I think he would have even ragged out a few more fighters had he wanted to wrestle a little bit more. And he didn't want to because he didn't have to. You know, he just <laughs> and and the things he was doing, even in fights that may have made him made that may have been closer than they absolutely needed to be, continued to allow him to evolve and improve as a fighter and an athlete and a competitor. He constantly gets better. And this fight is going to make him better. People are going to wait for that fight that puts so many miles on him, and then they're going to be calling him out left and right, left and right. And he's, st- he's still going <laughs> to fuck him up. That's what's going to happen. So it'll happen two or three times, and they'll think he's a little bit a little bit worse for the wear, a little bit weathered, and he won't be. He won't be. Or maybe he is a little bit compared to prime folk, but he's still going to be too much for most. He's going to be too much for just about everybody. We already saw that with Jose Aldo, right? Even off his prime, he was still too much for most. And that's what you get when you have the tools. There's a there's a difference between just being a tough guy, and then there's a, when you're a tough, athletic, physical guy with a physical fighter with with speed and power and fight IQ and quick feet and agility. All those things combined, that's like that's that's really a difference maker in when you're trying to build out an exceptional athlete for a video game like that 99 and all category that you're not going to do that but the closest you're going to get is Alexander Volkanovski. <laughs> now in hindsight it's clear this is a fight Volkanovski could have won but what's also true is Mahachev won but he didn't win in the ways I thought he would. He won by doing the little things right doing the basics better than Volk. The things that you learn on the first day, right? Like staying disciplined. Fighting technically isn't all about your technique. It's also other things. Staying disciplined is one. I think he had better discipline than Volkanovsky. Paying attention to the person in front of you. I don't think Volkanovsky always did a good job with that. Controlling foot positioning and always getting his feet to the outside. Drawing Volk in. 
working the jab. And I think he studied Volkanovsky better than Volkanovsky studied Mahachev. I don't think Volk was as disciplined and several times Volk lost concentration. I think Volkanovsky does worse in Australia because the crowd is like a distraction. It's like having you sit in class next to your best friend. <laughs> you won't get your work done. You'll be having too much fun. And I think having the Australian crowd actually worked against his concentration because Volk is someone who feeds off of feeling like he's being counted out. And he doesn't have that in Australia. That's some of the best. That's, that's some of the best. I got to interrupt you because that's some of the best fight analysis I've ever heard. It, it really is. It's fresh, <laughs> original, and inspired thinking in a fight that didn't really elicit a ton of inspired thinking because, like I said, it was that hypnotic. You know, you could say it's like it was, it was a great fight. So you pointing out those things that Makshev did well and also the things that may have been a little bit of a disruptor for for Volk, really, really inspired stuff, man. And that's 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 outstanding. I think the reason why Mahachev cemented the rounds that he did were sometimes lapses of concentration from Volkanovsky. Like one time when he got his back taken, it was because he was yapping at Mahachev's corner or he's like playing up to the crowd and then he gets hit and dropped. It's like things like that, right? And I think he doesn't do that outside of Australia. So that even made me realize, yeah, this was definitely winnable because these were unforced errors, right? He could fix those, right? And then secondly, even with unforced errors, he still came damn close to winning this fight. Exceptionally close. And uh, Islam fought, like you said, very, very disciplined fight. He was great with his 3-2. He was very, very good with his knees off wrestling exchanges. He was very, very good at, I mean, uh, I don't think he, he fatigued Volkanovski, but I think he did enough grappling, and he is physically strong enough against the I mean, enough. He's so physically strong that Volkanovski, to be stronger, had to be as strong as he could be. And with that, he there was a little bit of, I don't want to say fatigue, but Volkanovski, who in the first round looked much quicker than Machev, didn't look that much quicker in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds. Didn't look, didn't look labored at all, just didn't look quite as fast. And that's because he had to match him strength-wise. And uh, credit to, to Volkanovski, he definitely did that. So that's what I say when I, like, when I watched it. At, from every perspective, I could, I could really, uh, whatever purchase I tried to make with my brain to say, let's look at it from this perspective. Let's look at it from this perspective. I got pulled a different way because so many good things were happening. You know, you could do a, a tutorial or instructional video. And what, what we should do is we should, a year from now, break down this fight again and see, and not listen to our old recording, this current recording, and see like, what, what we report on that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's always something new you're going to learn from this fight. There's a ton. There's a ton. I mean, if you're a coach, this will make you a better coach. It absolutely will. And you start to learn that your strengths, you know, do not listen to what the media or to what the fight brains tell you your strengths are. It's, a, it's mixed martial arts. And what made both of them competitive in this mixed martial arts fight was their round, well-roundedness. The fact that one fighter who wasn't, uh, who nobody anticipated to be able to handle the other fighter's wrestling did just that and then some. 
And the other fighter that was not dynamic enough of a striker didn't have enough like tools in his tool chest to stay with the pound for pound best fighter and most athletic featherweight in the world. Right. But, but he did and they did and they made each other better and they made it a great fight. And again, anyone who would watch it a second or a third time, you're going to see different things. Now that I've given Mahachev credit for his discipline and also the basics, I do have to point out the one basic thing Mahachev still messes up is bringing his feet together and crossing his legs. He will turn into Johnny Walker on occasion. And I think it's just bad habit. He has a habit of going backward, leading with the front leg, not the back leg, right? When you're working with a new fighter or you're teaching them boxing, you tell them if you're going forward, lead with the front. If you're going back, lead with the back, right? But oftentimes, still, Mahachev, when he goes backwards, leads with the front. In the first round, when the commenters were saying he was wobbled, if you look, Volk punched him in the chest. It was just that Mahachev had his feet together because of the problem I mentioned. So he, of course, lost balance. He wasn't wobbled. He also has the same habit that Magomedov had, which is to throw his hands up as he shoots, which sometimes gets him clipped or hit. And it looks worse than it is when he does get hit, especially if his feet are together. So his team really has to work with him on these habits. I agree with with everything you said. The difficulty is most fighters that will pressure him to get him to back up like that, he's probably just going to take them down if they're not Alexander Volkanovsky, right? You know, that's that's the, the usually going to be the story. But if there is an Achilles heel, I mean, it is that lapse in footwork. And like the, the one, I wasn't sure if he got dropped or if his feet got a little tangled up because he did bring his feet close together on more than one on more than one occasion. And that's something I think if they if they fought six months from now, I, I think it, it's something Volkanovski could actually exploit with some of his blitzes in shifts. But again, this is a fight that brings the best out of each other. And this is a chance for me to shit on the UFC. If they fought a second time, it should be the kind of fight that both of them could retire on. Yes. Right? I promise you it fucking will not be. No, they were promoting the hell out of that power slap shit instead of this fight. Oh, yeah. Right? And cocaine bear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How about you just give just a little bit of love to the two best pound-for-pound pound fighters in the world? Let's do that. If we really believe the UFC is the ultimate proving ground, why couldn't, why couldn't you give him some love? Why? He didn't even remember Islam's name. Dana White, I mean. Yep. It was, it was as obvious as it was despicable that he would fuck that up. <laughs> if you love the Southpaw Project, become one of our financial supporters. It'll help us supplement the cost of running this project, the incredible time and energy we put into it seven days a week, and you'll be giving us some breathing room, not only to juggle Southpaw with our day jobs, but also to expand Southpaw into other areas. We can't exist without your contributions. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at southpawpod.com. Now, to agree with everything you said, I think the less skilled striker beat the better striker in striking by doing the basics better. I think Volk forgot about the basics because he underestimated Mahachev striking so much, 
which he even said in the post-fight interview. I think it took him too long to recognize, hey, this guy isn't just getting lucky. He's actually timing me. Well, uh, Islam's been putting hands on everybody, man. <laughs> as, as much improved as Charles Oliveira 2.0 was, like, Islam was touching him a lot. Finding that right hook, finding that straight left hand, being composed, getting along with his punches, understanding distance, leverage, and timing, as well as any natural wrestler who converts to, to the, the mixed martial arts game can and has done. He just looked exceptional. And that's one thing you and I touched on the last time we spoke on him is that he's improved. He really has. And a continuation and continued evolution and improvement is necessary in this, in this game. If you do want to solidify yourself in, at 155 pounds, which is just such a tough weight class with so many solid competitors, and if you want to challenge yourself to fight someone with the, the physical ability and skill set as Alexander Volkanovsky. So, I mean, continuing to do the little things right, continuing to improve on the basics is essential. Fighting with good disciplined hand position and finding the ability to hit some nice knees in those muddy, like tangled positions. He's doing the little things right. And just, just as we discussed and said that Alexander Volkanovsky continues to improve, so does Islam Mashev. The final thing I want to elaborate on is what I mean by having studied Volkanovsky better. Going back to what I said, Mahachev kept getting that outside foot position, which he's actually very good at. He does that in every one of his fights. And also, when we talk about that his striking isn't the prettiest, actually, his footwork isn't always the prettiest, but his punches... Punches are pretty clean. Yeah, just no tell. And I think that really gave Volkanovsky a hard time because he couldn't see them coming. Yep, and there were a few, there were a few kicks that that landed and a few punches that landed on Volk that had him li limit his movement a bit. He stayed a little bit stationary because in a few of his blitzes, he got caught coming in. So, And when he stayed stationary, Islam was able to get some shit off. And when he did, he was able to get long with his strikes and he was able to touch one of the, the better defensive fighters that has ever graced the UFC's octagon. To that point, right, to speak to now, Islam Mahachev's technical skills and his own skills as a pound-for-pound -pound fighter and his intelligence, you mentioned Mahachev's kicks. And sometimes he would just throw these kicks, which were kind of like these throwaway kicks, to try to steer Volkanovsky. He's like, oh, you're going this way. I'm going to just throw this out there so you stop going that way. I just want you to go this other way, right? To your point, limiting his movement. He was even doing that with kicks. And sometimes he would just throw from his left side just to get Volkanovsky in a certain range where now he was more predictable for Mahachev because he's like, if you can switch to both stances and go both left, right, front to back, this is too much guesswork. So let me do the smart thing and limit you in the areas that you can fight. And now you're much more predictable to me. Absolutely. And if he slowed, if, if Volk slowed in front of him for a second, Islam didn't hesitate. He didn't even get wild. He threw everything with no, no tell and nice and straight. Right. So, you know, he did the little things correct and he stayed, he did the little things correctly and he stayed, he stayed calm and composed. And we've, we must have said it three or four times, disciplined in the way he approached someone as, as dynamic and versatile skill set wise as, as Alexander Volkanovsky. And the hardest part about fighting someone like, like Volk is the, the, the difficulty in staying disciplined because he gives you so many looks and he touches you so many times from different directions. Like it's, but 
it's hard to tell the angles that things are coming. So you get frustrated and you tend to be overly aggressive in response. Even the most disciplined fighters have done that against him. And Islam did not. So he was able to sort of slow it a bit, slow it down just a bit. And it was still a well-paced fight with a lot of action. But, you know, you had a, a fighter who understood that going five rounds against a cardio machine like Alexander Volkanovsky was going to be difficult. So they stayed disciplined. And in Islam fought a fight, probably the most the most intellectually uh, aware fight plan I've ever seen implemented against Alexander Volkanovsky. I was just surprised, to your point, how Mahachev was just not getting flustered. And he was just like, I have a game plan. I'm just going to stick to my game plan. And regardless of what he does, even him talking to me, whether the crowd is working against me, whether he's playing up to the crowd, even if I lose balance for a second, I'm just going to get right back on it. Yeah. And that kind of discipline is is born of, of fortitude, good coaching, and a grizzled, grizzled individual. Because he got, I mean, he got hit with a, a combination that he never ever had to react to in the first after the first minute, where there was a sort of a faint fest, right? When, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was a right hand to the body. Uh, Volkanovski threw a nice right hand to the body and came up with a left hook and I think a clubbing right hand, and uh, that was the first real combination that landed, and it was pretty easy to tell who had the speed advantage. And a lot, of, a lot of times when that happens to someone. They decide to just spam shit back real quick, wild attacks, and it turns into that, that little bit of a slugfest. He did. He regrouped and was only able to do that because he had the presence of mind to be patient, to be disciplined, to slow it down and find his opportunity. And where he got wobbled off the bat, he was able to wobble Volkanowski and then get the takedown and spend a significant time in a control position. Going off of something you said, right, of getting hit off of a combination. I think a lot of how Volkanovsky is used to fighting his opponents is he catches them with something like that, and then that scares them a little bit, and then they start backing up. Or they panic and start trying to hit back. Mahachev didn't do either. He didn't start panic punching. He didn't start running away. He's just like, okay, you got me. We're going to go right back into this. I'm going to stick to the game plan. And I think it's not just discipline. That discipline is also born of trust, meaning he trusted the game plan. And he trusted his coaches and he trusted himself. It's a deep faith in his team that they came up with the right plan. And you know what? He should have faith in his team because I think they did come up with the right plan and they really scouted Volkanovsky really well. Because first of all, even though this isn't like the quote unquote best striker Volkanovsky has fought, right? He's fought Jose Aldo, he's fought Max Holloway. It was only Islam Mahachev, who was making Alexander Volkanovsky pay every time he stance switched. He hit him a lot of times. A lot of those good shots came off of the stance switches. And also when Volkanovsky closes the distance and tries to get in close, Mahachev would catch him right there, whether with a strike or a collar tie, knees, uppercuts, left straights. And something you pointed out, right? He has really good hooks and he would hit him with hooks when Volk was exiting, right? Volk is really good about jumping in, backing out, and he would hit him as he was backing out. He even timed an elbow as Volk was coming in. And something else I hadn't seen other fighters take advantage of is Volkanovsky likes to grab your wrist and then come in off of that wrist grab, right? To try to hit you 
or clinch you or whatever. And it's like, as soon as you grab Islam's wrist, he's like, I know what's coming. I'm going to hit you. Or you're initiating the grapple. You're connected to me now. Now you're going to go where I go, right? If you're grabbing my hand, that hand goes where my hand goes, right? So he, then he would just use that to collar tie him or clinch him or whatever, because it's like, you know, sometimes when somebody grabs your wrist, you can now arm drag them, right? Even though they grabbed you first. Oh, yeah. He didn't do an arm drag, but it was that same concept. It's like, you're grabbing me. He would yank that arm to him and then kind of make Volkanovsky step a little bit sooner than he expected. And then he did a lot of good things right off of that. And also, he has a really educated hook. I think it's easy to watch this as like he was really winning the fight with these straight punches. But it's like, if he misses one of his hooks, he's really good at adjusting the next time around you come in. He's like, oh, you came in this way. So I just missed the top of your head, right? Next time Volkanovski comes in, he clips him off the top of his head. He adjusted down, right? Or last time you came in, I hit you with the back of my forearm or my bicep, right? Let me adjust this shit. Next time he comes in, he just cracks him again at the top of his head, right? And he makes those adjust. He makes the and Islam makes those adjustments without doing it seven or eight times to make those adjustments. When he goes, he re- he fights like the old Soviet Union team used to wrestle in the eighties and nineties, where they would just they just stay in their stance and they wouldn't break stance. And the, the American wrestlers were were much more dynamic and stringing together multiple attacks. And the Russians would just stay in their stance. And when they'd go, they would go. And you gave them more data to go with and. You know, that, that was before there was a push out rule, before there was a, a shot clock, all those things. You could just sort of stay in your stance and not break. And there was a little bit of that in how, uh, how Islam fought Volkanovsky. And when he went, he went and he scored. I think he landed 57% of his significant strikes, which against Alexander, Alexander Volkanovsky is fucking mind boggling. And I, again, I, I was super impressed with how Volkanovsky fought, but you know, you got to really try to dissect great fighting, not just how the fight plays out, but where each fighter like began in terms of skill set and what you and your perceived your perception of their ability. And the, the beauty of it lies in how they both evolved, right? How they both evolved and brought out the best in themselves. And what I really like is the, the constant, consistent improvement of the striking. Uh, coupled with the the muddy wrestling, I call it dirty Muay Thai, like knees off wrestling exchanges from from Islam. I fucking loved it. I really did. Yeah, I think it's easy to underrate Mahachev's uh, striking because he just sticks to the bread and butter moves, right? And not everybody, but for him, he doesn't need anything more than that. He needs the jab. He needs the left straight. He needs the hooks from both sides. He needs the left kick. That's about it, right? He throws other stuff every once in a while. And the other important thing is he slows the fight down. So he doesn't have to do like an eight punch combination because that's not how he's going to fight. But somehow he makes you slower too, right? So just with those moves, that's all he needs. He doesn't need anything more than that. And the other thing is, is he'll never throw those moves the same way twice. He's constantly adjusting those movements so that he doesn't need other movements. He doesn't need to do neo footwork. He doesn't need to do a switch kick. He doesn't need to do like all the fancy stuff because he has an ability to make those few moves, the correct answers for every situation, right? Versus somebody who needs like one answer for a million situations. Then now you need to know a million moves, right? 
which is too complicated. Then how are you going to stay disciplined, right? Because you don't even know what you're going to do. And you can build you can build a house with a hammer, nails, and screwdriver. That's it. That's all he needs, yeah. right? Yeah. If his skill, if his tools are limited, he the way he strings them together in different combinations really, really works for him. And when you have a great chin and you're that physically strong, then you know again working to your strengths. Staying fundamentally sound, staying tactical and patient, and knowing that you get your hands on ninety nine percent of the fighting order at one hundred fifty five pounds, you're probably going to squeeze them to death. Like those are good things to to work with, right? So you don't have to be ultra dynamic. You can be fundamental, and you can be smart, and you can mix three, four, five, six, seven techniques together, like an underhook, a collar tie, and a knee to the body can be worked. In so many different ways, in so many different positions, in, in a way that in, against the cage, out in space, from a front headlock, they improve position. You jack it up, you go to tap a knee, they step back, bang, you bring that knee to the body. Little shovel elbow to the head, bang, little short elbow to the head, and then run them against the cage, all off basic sequences. You don't have to get super fancy. It's great watching fighters like Yair fight like you don't mess with the Zohan and just feet flying through the fucking air all crazy. <laughs> I love that shit too. You can do some really great shit with just fundamental tactics and techniques. And I think we watched Islam Machev do that and do it very well. Five moves, all the answers. That's it, right? Even though Volkanovsky wasn't successful with his takedowns, did just attempting them, did that help his game? Oh, it absolutely did. Um, some of the, the, the dirt, I call it the dirty boy tie that, that Islam really likes to do, especially against the cage, he couldn't do for risk of, of being taken down. It allowed for Volkanovski to keep Islam a little bit off balance against the cage. First things first, defend the takedown. And when you're someone who, who takes down Abib on a regular basis, then in your head, that's a fight. That's an aspect of the fight, a battle within the war. You do not want to lose. Even when I'm wrestling, even when I'm teaching wrestling uh, to fighters and they've got me in a single leg and we're doing that work against the cage, I'm like, I'll be goddamn if you're taking me down, kid. That's not happening. So getting in that fighter's head a little bit, understanding that there will be an urgency to get back in that moment, which the, the beauty of the way Islam fought was when he lost exchanges, he just waited to win the next one, mm. right? He didn't get wild. He didn't try to get it back against a quicker fighter who was touching him early. He took his time, just downloaded a little more information and found his shit. I believe that if he would have been taken down, he would have had this, this little inner fuck you competitive bullshit come out in him and he'd try real hard to get back to his feet. We might have seen, we might have seen him gas a little bit earlier. Had he not been so measured, little fights, little fights within the fight. All right. I think we could talk about this fight forever. So let's table it and end this discussion here. So that's it for this fight study. Thank you, Jason, as always. And thank you all for listening. Always a pleasure. If you like this episode and like what we do, support us on Patreon. We also have the Liberation Martial Arts Program. If you want to train with us from wherever you are. There you'll find lots of techniques, exercises, theory, pedagogy, and even political theory. We also have Fighters Brew, which is a manga-inspired martial arts audio series, as well as Fighters Brew transcripts that include martial arts tutorials. 
you can find Liberation Martial Arts online, along with Fighters Brew on Patreon. You can find Southpaw merch at our store. You can find all pertinent links on the show notes.